Hey, thanks for checking out the Blake Benz podcast. We have saved the best episode for last for the 2019 year. And as we step into the 2020 year, I want to introduce you to someone who is pretty incredible. She's joining the show today. Her name's Gretchen Fearley. She's a retired C-suite executive, and her whole mantra is to pay it forward and prepare the next wave of leaders. I was totally blown away talking to her. In fact, I think I'd pretty much just listened to her. <laughs> she has so many great insights. She's also the author of a book series called Fish Rot from the Head Down. Enjoy the episode, and let's have an awesome 2020. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Blake Benz podcast. Today is the episode I have been waiting for all December. I am sitting down with Gretchen Fearley. She's a leadership author. She's a speaker. She's amazing. She has an incredible set of workbooks called The Fish Rots from the Head Down. Uh, I am so excited to have her on the podcast today. Gretchen, thank you for joining us today. Blake, I am so excited to finally connect with you and be here today. Yeah. Can't wait to talk with you. Now, I'm also a bit jealous because you told me that you are sitting with some snow outside. Yes, I can <laughs> show everyone. This is what Buffalo looks like. And you got your and, uh, beautiful Christmas wreath up. So you're ready yes. for Christmas. You're good to go. Well, I have a woman's, I call it the annual Gales uh, brunch, the first Saturday of every December. And I bring all my business colleagues who have helped me throughout the year. And we all come together. It's quite the e eclectic group. And we uh, kick off the season and I always bring live entertainment. And we have a concert given to us for about 45 minutes. And there's maybe 25 of us that watch. So it's pretty special. So I had to get decorated early this year for that. <laughs> oh, I want to come to your house. That sounds awesome. <laughs> That's great. So how did how did that come come together? Like how did that start? I don't know. I just felt that it was we work really hard all year and just to pause for a moment and come to, together and just be human beings and have fun and then to entertain mm -hmm. them is sort of my way of saying thank you, you know, for mm -hmm. being my friend and for everything you've done to help lift me up and help support my passion work. And I don't yeah. think we do that enough because I think we have our heads down a lot, working real hard, and we never take a pause. So it's sort of my thank you for yeah. two and a half hours. <laughs> it's, it's hard sometimes. <laughs> With champagne. Yeah. <laughs> and Bloody yeah. Marys. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's hard sometimes to realize the people who are in your network, especially when you are going through a tough time. It's hard to recognize the people who are supporting you only because sometimes those problems are so gargantuan, you know, they're, they're right in front of your face. It's hard sometimes to really recognize the people who are there to support you. So yeah. I love that you're, you're doing that or that you have been doing that. And it's, it's actually one of my chapters in my books is, uh, it's just about appreciation mm -hmm. that it's, it really means a lot to people sometimes far more than getting a raise. Well, and you know, what's interesting is it's, it's weird to me how, and maybe this is a good place to start because um, I've been, the reason I've been so excited to have you on is because I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about leadership, but especially bad leadership. And, yeah. or I guess that's a bit of a oxymoron, but 
you know, people who they manage in a way that just is totally nonsensical, but it's so, it's so prevalent. And so just as I, as Kristen Sherry, which, you know, her name comes up so much on this podcast because she's recommended so many people to it. As she first directed me to you and she told me a little bit about you, I just, I was immediately excited because it's obvious that you understand management and leadership the right way. Tell me a little bit about your story. I mean, how did you get to where you are today? You know, what was the inspiration for your book or your workbooks? Um, I'd love to hear more. I have been surrounded with leaders all my life. My father was a businessman. He started a business from scratch, asked 14 of his friends to throw some money in so he could start a business. He came out of World War II and went to Northwestern on the GI Bill where it was sort of a work, go to school thing. And he got a great job at Westinghouse. He was an engineer, but realized very quickly that he was not meant to work for anybody. And so he started his own business and, and bought an old uh, um, a workshop, machine shop, and got some friends to invest in him. And he slept on a cot and made the sales calls and fixed the machines and built it into a very large company, $250 million company. So I have been surrounded with leaders all my life. And God loved my father. He was a great businessman. But I grew up in the time I'm one of nine children within 13 years. We lived on, it used to be a working farm. But I noticed at a very early age, the traditional roles of men and women. And the boys would go out and they cut the you know lawn and all the rest of us and we'd be doing the housework. And one year, my mother um, gave us all ERA bracelets, which meant the Equal Rights Amendment. She goes, "Put them on and don't take them off until it's passed." So I remember going. Uh, my first big experience in leadership. I, I think I was always a natural leader as far as want, if I was passionate about something in high school. I would go for it. And, uh, but I also graduated 300 out of 317 in my class. So I would, the same year I failed biology, I got an award in mathematics because I was sort of bold to say, you know, I'm joining the Peace Corps. I don't need to have good grades. And of course I'm going to go to college, but not one college wanted me. So that's a totally different story. (laughs) But when I started, uh, my first big aha moment was when I went to the American Management Association midway through college. My father said, it'll be the best two weeks of your life. And these CEOs from Fortune 50 companies flew in on their private jets and talked to 40 teenagers. I was 19 years old. And in two weeks, we learned the rigor of respect and leadership. So if we were Five seconds late when something started, that door shut, and we were not allowed to come in and interrupt. So everything was like a teaching moment. And some of the stories and some of the work we had to do was very inspirational. So when I wanted to, when I graduated, and I and I was sort of interested in manufacturing, and I told my father, I said, you know, I'm sort of interested in manufacturing. So there's no place for women in manufacturing. Pursue banking. That's good for women. So there we go. So although he was a great businessman, he also was very traditional. And I was definitely in the generation where I heard that a lot in the work environment, things that 
you could never get away with today. Like you don't make as much money as the elders because you don't have a family to raise. So I heard these things a lot as I was moving up my career path. So I was really thrown in the deep end. I had a lot of people around me who were leaders. And so I paid attention and watched them, but I was surrounded by it all my life. And I really, but bottom line was I was thrown in the deep end and I had to learn how to find my way and find my path. So I always say I can get in the house, but I never went through the front door, but I am very persistent. I'm very passionate. Uh, I have a very strong value system about right and wrong. And so I, I, I never see an obstacle if I think that there's good at the end of the road. So I just really learned along the way. But in doing so, I did eventually rise up to the C-suite position in healthcare. And I, I was in that um, sort of that C-suite uh, environment for 17 years. And my, looking at the top of the mountain was very interesting to see how broken leadership was and how many people failed, lost their jobs, companies didn't prosper all because of the rot that sat at the top. Mm. And that goes beyond the CEO. But I do think that there's a lot of CEOs who don't understand what it is to lead. Mm -hmm. They may know how to financially make a company thrive. But if you don't get people, authentic followership, and I know that word, those two words are used all the time, but it is so true. A CEO should be shamed every day if they can't create that because they're not really creating an enterprise that's really working on behalf of everyone. And you don't serve the customer at the end of it. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of, I've seen a lot of sloppiness and you can imagine the health insurance world, how much I've seen where there isn't, we know we tolerate a lot of dysfunction. And I, sometimes I'm amazed that companies actually thrive with so much dysfunction. So I have retired out of the corporate world and I am spending the rest of my life paying it forward by lifting up the next wave of leaders so that they are well-equipped to lead well and know what it takes to lead and understand the responsibility that comes with it. So that's really my story. And this is what <laughs> I'm doing now. So I am rocking and rolling and in, in, in shaking some bushes and, and yeah. working. So I, 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 I tell a lot of people who are in work environments where they're unhappy, I said, don't step in it and roll around in the muck. Walk through it. Hmm. There is another side. Focus on becoming a great leader because there's going to be an opportunity in your life. It may not be now, but it may be sometime when you actually are a change agent, you have the ability to make changes. Be well prepared for that time when it comes. And if you're in a toxic environment, look for other opportunities. My first chapter of, I've written two volumes so far, Fish Rat from the Head Down. My first chapter is probably the most important. Interview is how does your being interviewed? If there isn't a fit, if you don't really connect with a person who's going to lead you or the team you're going to be on, just don't take it because of the title or the pay. Make sure there's a fit because if there is not, you're going to be walking into already an obstacle ahead of you. So I think it's really important. And everything I've written about is because someone has taught me that lesson. 
And so I have just paid attention to it. And I decided that I'm going to start writing down these thoughts about the kind of behavior and action that's required to be able to lead well. And that's what my books are all about. Oh, I love it. And there's, there's so many just great insights and in everything you just shared. I'm, I, I wish I had a pen and paper that I was, so I don't lose track of a couple of those things I really want to uh, sit on for a sec. The most immediate one that I loved was you talked about the re- responsibility of a leader. And I, it makes me think back to um, occasionally I'll talk to a leader who they'll sort of bemoan that responsibility of, you know, like, why do I have to build trust with my people? Like, well, why do I have to, you know, get them to a place where, you know, why can't they just do their job? Like, why do I have to be thinking of growing and developing them, for example? And my most common response is, well, you know, this is, this is the weight of leadership. It's the burden of leadership. It's, it's what you signed up for. You know, you didn't sign up for, you know, the job title or the pay raise, although maybe you thought you did. Um, and I, I love how you articulated that. There's a responsibility. It's almost like a duty that, that people, it, they owe it to their people. They owe it to each other. And it's amazing how many leaders, you know, maybe it's better to say how many managers miss that. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with ego. And I have a great <laughs> chapter on ego. Um, and I said, ego is exhausting. Leave it at the door. We all know ego when we see it. We all hate being around it. We all feel strangled by it unless it's us who has it. And if so, everyone else around us knows it and they don't like being with us, let alone being led by us. Mm -hmm. The higher up you are, the more humble you have to be. So here's a quick uh, description of what I consider to be a great leader. Humility. Now, I'm a very passionate person, but I'm also very humble. That means that I usually leave my title at the door because I think great ideas come from anyone. And you have to, I mean, you have to have hierarchy because you need structure us. You would have anarchy and chaos. However, I have learned the, my first chapter interview as hard as your interview came from a copywriter that was coming into our department who wasn't even reporting to me, was reporting to someone else who reported to me. And I just interviewed him for because he was a final candidate. Out of the hour I had with him, he spent about 50 minutes asking me questions. And I was like, wow. See, he knew I could read his portfolio and know whether he's the type of writer I wanted, but he wanted to know whether what my leadership philosophy was, what, what, how, I, how I lead people, what the team is like, what the company culture was, because he wanted to make sure that he was stepping into the right environment. I was like, wow, you know, he is so right. And I thought it was really great that he was not intimidated to actually ask a senior vice president of a multi-billion dollar company all these questions for a copywriting position. But I thought he was, he's so spot on. And he ended up, that lesson was my first, my fr- became my first chapter of my book. Hmm. So I think that great ideas and great talents everywhere. And there was a time when, you know, I was on a loading dock throwing things. I mean, we all start somewhere, all of us. Hmm. And I ha- actually have a chapter uh, that is uh, politics aside 
about Ronald Reagan, where they said, you're the best communicator in the world. You're considered the great communicator. How do you do it? He says, because I look out and I say, everyone's had their legs lifted and their fannies wiped. (laughs) And I loved it. So that became, that's a chapter of my book is that humility of knowing that there's talent everywhere. So, so that's, that's the definition of, first of all, you have to be there to even become a great leader. Mm-hmm. So that's the starting point is that humility and the understanding that great ideas come from anyone. And it doesn't matter whether coming from an administrator, a janitor, uh, a supervisor, a director, it doesn't matter. Because those great, often they are the ones that have the greatest insight, just like when we were in those positions, we actually were there on the ground, right? So it's like Mm -hmm. a war, you know, you're on the ground and you're really seeing what's really happening. Mm -hmm. And often, you know, as people go up the ladder, they, they become very insulated to that and they focus more on bigger picture and strategy, which they should, but you can't, you can't lift up without still keeping your feet on the ground. And so that's, that's the starting thing. That's where you have to start to be a great leader. The responsibility of the leader is you must try to make everyone on your team successful. I used to have a CEO who would keep a file of everything that bugged him. And then, and then he would explode and it was like, wow, stop keeping a file. Just pick up the phone and call me and we could create a process improvement on the spot. And then you would never be aggravated anymore. So making people successful in my book is define what your expectations are and the goals, give them all the tools and resources to be successful and then transfer accountability and get out of their way. There is more than one way to get to New York City. I live south of Buffalo. So if a leader says, okay, Gretchen, I want you to go to an urban city and, uh, and I want you to get there by five o'clock tomorrow morning with this document. I said, okay. So I call my boss. I said, I'm here. It's five o'clock. I have the document. I'm in New York City. And I drove. And he said, uh, Gretchen, I wanted you to go to L.A. I did not want you to go to New York City. I didn't want you to f- fly. I wanted you to take it or fly. I wanted you to take a train because I wanted you to make some stops along the way. Well, he didn't define exactly what he wanted from me, right? So this is what often happens. Maybe that's a bad, a poor example, but what I'm getting to is that if you're not clear on where you want someone to go and they go the wrong way, Mm -hmm. who's responsible for their failure? It's certainly not that person who worked hard to meet that deadline and go to where they were told to go. It's a, it's, it's the leader's fault for not being clear about their expectations of of that journey and when that happens and someone fails it's the leaders it's the leaders responsibility and failure a hundred percent but think about people that lose their jobs because of that because they're unclear about what they're supposed to do and then they have to go home feel like a failure try to find a new career and I, i i see this all the time i've seen it all the time throughout my career that this happens 
Yeah. Well, and you know, it's, it's, I almost feel like we have to slow down because I, you're saying so much good stuff. I'm like, okay, that's, <laughs> I'm like, I, I have an opinion going. on that. <laughs> so, so let, let, let me just put like a bow on everything you just said in the yeah. sense of managing your people well. And I love what you said about even the communication piece. And you, you've said actually a few things that I'm like, Ooh, I like that. I like that. I like that. So first of all, people who say, you, know, you mentioned there's great talent out there. I'll have people who will say things like, well, I just can't find any good talent. There's just no great talent out there. And it's like, well, is there really no great talent out there? Or are you just not able to hire great talent? Which is, there's a difference there. The communication piece that you just said, I think was phenomenal. And it, it makes me think of managers or C-suite or whoever who get frustrated that an employee didn't see past New York you know, they right. didn't, they didn't see, you know, well, they should have known that I was going to, and, and it's funny to me because I think, well, why, why would they have known that? They right. don't, they don't have your visibility. They don't have the transparency that you have. And going back to Ronald Reagan, something that's really interesting about Ronald Reagan being this incredible communicator. I was very fortunate to go to a training, the person who was his head of PR she runs mm -hmm. a consulting firm on uh, public relations now, and I was very lucky to be gifted a training with her. Oh, how and great. She talked all about the reason he was such a great communicator was because of how many times he would ask people, hey, how does this sound? Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, how would you say this? And so even going back to that example, you have someone who is so good at seeking insight from the people around him rather than just being like, well, I'm the president and I'm going to. And so it's, it's, and it's funny how that ties into what you're talking about of the manager who's able to set aside their ego. And really, I think it was Steve Jobs who said, get out of their way. Yeah. Like, literally hire your people so and get out of their way. Who, who, everyone loves to take credit for their own work. Who likes to be micromanaged? And then you're successful how? Because you've been micromanaged to success. Mm -hmm. Like everyone wants to feel that they can have ownership of something. Right. And when you do that, then, then there's natural consequences from it, right? They either succeed or they don't. So if I give someone the tools and resources to be successful, I have an open door policy so that they can, they always have support around them and the resources to make them successful. If they so choose not to do things, it's very easy to make decisions, but you have to make sure people are in the right seats. Mm -hmm. So it's not always about kicking people off the bus. Right. It's sometimes about rearranging seats to make sure that their talents and their passions are aligned mm -hmm. well. And we often don't do that. Well, we don't all, we don't often pause enough to, cause, cause I think, I think self -awareness yeah, you're right. Is, it's about a pause because you know, the self-awareness piece is so massive and there's people who are on someone's team who even they, they think their sweet spot is this but then you see them in this moment of, oh my gosh, that was brilliant. You actually need to be here. But I think if you, if you have a toxic culture, you're always fighting fires. You don't ever get the space to actually have that evaluation. And I don't mean like the obnoxious annual review where it's like, okay, here's the, here's the formal time we evaluate and here's my... I'm so against annual yeah, reviews. <laughs> I, I, you know, and it's, it's just funny to me because we pull out this big file with all of these wrongs that you did and most of them are inconsequential and, and there's supposed to be greater meaning out of it. You know, we, we don't 
on a, on a, I would say day to day, but especially a week to week basis, a lot of managers aren't taking the time. And for some of them, it's not their fault. It's because the person above them is pressing on them for some great results or for some urgent results. Um, a question I have for you, I'd be curious to hear what you think about this. You know, I totally agree when you talk about ego and especially sometimes the manager isn't looking at their people because they are just looking at themselves. My worry is, and what's, what's wild about this is you've mentioned ego, I've mentioned ego, and several other people I've talked to have talked about ego being so detrimental. When we talk about ego, I think that people sometimes think about like the massive personality, almost like the megalomaniac. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not that person, so I must not be ego-driven. And I think people, even who are listening sometimes possibly, as we talk about ego, they may check the box and say, well, I'm not that. And yet you see a lot of managers who they are taking credit. They, and it sounds like you've read good to great since you mentioned, yes, I uh, love that book. getting off the bus. And so, you know, the analogy of the window and the mirror and you know, the great bosses are looking out the window when things go well at their people and themselves when things go wrong and bad managers are getting it backwards. All this to say, What's your advice to someone who maybe they aren't um, recognizing how their behavior is not productive for their team? They're not building trust with their team in the way they probably should be. Um, any perspective there? Any insight? Especially maybe even someone who's not doesn't even they're not even aware of how how toxic their ego is. Get some good people around you, mentors. It may be outside your company. I have a mentor who is 17 years older than I am. And I have a mentor who's 30 years younger. And they really advise me and keep me in check as far as things that I'm doing well, things that I may look at. But you have to be able to look in the mirror. If someone doesn't want to look in the mirror, and look at what they're doing well and things that they could improve, it's very hard to move them off their block, right? You have to be open to that. But if someone really truly wants to create followership and a really great culture where they're saying, why, where they never, no longer have to say, why don't they just do what I say? The only way to get there is to create this sort of collaborative, and I know that's an overused word, culture where everyone feels valued. I'm really good at turnarounds. I have turned around uh, a a division of a company. I've turned around two departments and two different companies. I love to take broken things and flip them. It took me six months, no more than a year to, to totally go from the lowest performing to the highest performing that fast by doing simple things. One, I sat with everyone for 15 minutes. I said, I just want you to tell me what makes your heart sing. And some of them would be forthcoming. Some of them would be afraid, but at least I gave them. I no longer would uh, have my door closed ever, 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 and that anyone could walk into my office. I asked people what they would like to be, where they'd like to be in five years. And whether they're really comfortable in their seat. And if no, if not, then I was going to move them into another seat, not get rid of them. And it was about, I had somebody who was an extrovert 
and want, couldn't stand to be behind a desk. And she was writing copy for Medicare, which is the most mandated, regulated <laughs> thing that someone could ever do because you can't, it's just regulated work. And she needed to be out in community relations. So I took her out. I said, why, why are you writing Medicare copy? So I moved her over into community relations and she just flourished. And then she came to me after a couple of years and said, I have an opportunity with one of the largest banks in the country to run their, uh, they have major sponsorships with two NFL teams in different parts of the country. And I said, you have to take it because I could never offer you that opportunity. But what a great opportunity for you. She said, but that open dialogue is so, it's just so important. I had a, I had a uh, rule that anyone, no matter who they were, could throw the flag. If a meeting's going wrong or we're go getting sidetracked, they could say, I want to throw the flag. If we're doing work that's not serving our customer and we're spending way too much time as a department to, focusing on something that's not really serving the customer when there's other things that would, they're allowed to throw the flag. Now, it took a long time to build that trust because when you throw that flag and all of a sudden you have a senior vice president and you're a supervisor, you're afraid. Okay, if I throw this and I'm critical, am I going to be in trouble? So it took some old people to do it. And then me congratulating them, thanking them and awarding them for being open. And once that starts happening, all of a sudden, everyone else gets on board. I never had to ask anyone to work late ever once that was established. I had people that would work till three, four o'clock in the morning. I had someone where we had a major RFP that had to get 300 miles away and it had to be there the next day. And they were afraid that if they, we sent it overnight, Federal Express, it may not get there without being asked, they got in the car and drove it. You know why? Because they felt valued as a team. They own their work. It was important. They wanted everyone to be successful. It's so simple. And then when you walk into that environment, you don't have to worry about people telling people what to do. They are more than willing to go the extra mile all the time because they feel valued. It's when people don't feel valued, when people aren't recognized for what they bring to the table, that people start shutting down and saying, you know, why am I here? I'm, I'm dying on the vine. I'm bored. I'm not recognized. We all want that. It's just so, so, so common sense, but we don't spend enough time creating that culture. So I challenge CEOs and people that are running departments or divisions or companies, create, if you can create that kind of trust, you won't ever have to walk in saying, why aren't people doing this? I can guarantee people will give more than the, they've ever given before. And you can take low performers and make them into high performers because often low performers are because they've already given up. Mm. It works like magic. And I've done it three times, <clears throat> three times. And it's, I've had the same results all three times. I think that's enough of a, a batting average to think that I'm batting a thousand on, on, on doing, you know, approaching it that way. Well, we, we can combine our statistics here because I, I, I've, I've seen the same thing happen. Uh, 
both ways where the company that's just unwilling to recognize and value its people, where they don't experience long-term success. And, and I think that's, that's probably the, one of the key insights here is that if you're building something sustainable, you need people to do it. And there's a, there's a churn that's not sustainable because I know businesses who they are content to, well, we'll just keep hiring people and we'll just keep, you know, filling the seat that gets yeah. left and it's, it's not sustainable. The value piece I think is really interesting because there are a multitude of bosses, CEOs, managers, whoever, who simply do not understand how to value someone. And I don't even mean it in the sense of employees need something massive or they need something huge. It feels like it's, it's on the in the, in the lowest level, it's common respect. It's giving someone the belief in them that you will give them their own autonomy and ownership. I love what you talked about the red flag. It makes me think of PepsiCo, or maybe it was, it was Frito-Lay back in the 90s when they turned around their business. The CEO who came in told the, the line workers, hey, anytime you see a chip that's not up to quality, you can stop the whole line. And that, 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 great? that, that created this sense of, wow, like my perspective matters here. Right. Yes. And so, you know, empowerment. Thinking, yeah. Yeah. And we, well, and we use these words that I think, I think it's, it's like one company that they had this really awesome set of values and they had it on the wall. And I said, man, that's a great, that's a great list. <laughs> yeah. But go, you didn't see it. Right. And exactly. Just- well, literally, as soon as I said that they go, it was like, it was like they had never even seen it before. Like the woman looked and was like, oh my gosh, wow, where did the, you know, where did that come from? <laughs> but what she said was, oh, that, oh, well, we just had a marketing company come up with that and like throw it because they were designing the interior, Amazing. you know? And, and so we have these words that are so, it's like, it's like, yeah, that's the feel good word, but there's not a <laughs> lot of like actual, you know, it's, it's like, here's something that really drives me crazy. When I was a teacher, I was a high school teacher, our bosses, which we had, I mean, if there's anybody who needs to be thanked, it's a teacher. I mean, they were putting yeah. so much work in. But I know. So you'd get this email. It was like an essay on here's everything you need to do today. <laughs> and then the end, the end would always be signed with thank you for all that you do. And it was so, it was such a toxic line that we would joke. Like I would say, hey, you, you want to heat your lunch up for you? Because you know, we're like the teacher's lounge. <laughs> Someone goes, wow, thanks for all that you do. And, and so, because it was, it, was, it was disingenuous, right? And so. And so I, I just, I, I appreciate your perspective because you're talking about the actual real work that goes into valuing people, not the box you check, not the feel good, you know, yeah, I bought that employee a $15 gift card to Applebee's. Wow. And actually, Stephanie Medford, who's the, our local CEO of our Ronald McDonald House Charities, what I love about her perspective, she runs a nonprofit and she has this great quoted line where she talks about, because she has incredible retention, she has an amazing team, and she says, well, you know, I'm in the nonprofit space. While my peers were giving out $25 gift cards, I was giving out four-figure bonuses, four- and five-figure bonuses. And that's because she, she really wanted people to feel valued. And it doesn't always have to be money, but that's something that she was obsessive over. How do I really make sure this person knows that they're needed and they're appreciated? And you have to fight, you have to fight for your talent too. So if you're the CEO, of course you have a lot, you have a lot of power, but I always fought for my people. I, I wanted them to have competitive salaries 
I knew that there was someone who was making half what they should. If I ever had to replace her, she was in marketing and boy, did she know it. And as far as not know it, she just knew her marketing so well. And I said, if I ever lose her, it'll cost me twice as much. So instead of losing her, maybe she needs to make twice. Twice Now, in a company, you, know, you usually get these 5% bonuses and, or increases. Well, you know, she'd be like pushing up daisies, you know, six feet under before she ever got to twice as much. So I had to really fight for it. And I did. And she, she, she doubled her salary. And she was so appreciative, but I knew what the, what, that she was being exploited, maybe not intentionally, mm-hmm. but you have to pay attention to things like that. It's, uh, it's, you know, a lot of people throw around a lot of words, but it's all in the action, all in the action. Mm-hmm. If you're a CEO, I always ask, where's the board? Now, if you, you run your own company, then, you know, the buck stops with you. But if, if you have a board, how many board of directors, I want to ask you this question, how many board members have ever held the CEO accountable for culture? Mm. I can't think of one, mm. not one. Yeah. I can't think of one board that I've ever seen and even been on who's held the CEO accountable for a positive culture. Well, and I, I think it's because in general, we have a bit of a misperception of culture. We, we, a lot of people see it as fluffy and feel good rather than understanding it, it's literally the foundation for the outcomes you're going to achieve. And so I think you're totally right. I, I think there's a total lack of accountability yeah, they, in that they, area. Yeah, they focus on the bottom line and market dynamics and you know financial, which is all important, financial mm-hmm. health, but culture is what makes a company great. Yeah. And so Wegmans, do you know about Wegmans? Mm. Wegmans has been on the Fortune 100 list and in the top 10 on the Fortune best companies ever worked for. They were founded out of Syracuse, New York, and they're they're very much populated on the Northeast. They go down, I think, as far as D.C. They just actually opened up a store in New York City for the first time. Um, They it's a family owned business, but you want to talk about showing how culture really works within a company it, it all starts with the ownership they're humble they they believe in excellence and it's always about the customer a friend of mine went in one time and ordered had had an order for cupcakes and Wegmans is an amazing store and the cupcakes came in a paper bag instead of a brown box so they were sort of maybe a little smushed or whatever so she saw in the store someone who worked for Wegmans in administration and said, Ann, I just wanted to let you know I love Wegmans and the experience is always so great, but I got these cupcakes and they were put in a bag. And do you know what she said? Now, normally, what would you hear? I'm so sorry. I'm going to talk to that person, right? I'm so sorry that happened. The per- who was the person who did that? I'm going to talk to them, right? Isn't that sort of a common thing mm-hmm. that we hear? Mm-hmm. You know what she said? She said, I am so sorry. We must have not trained that person well enough mm-hmm. in order for her to deliver what, what you expected. She owned it. Mm-hmm. 
leadership owned that they failed to train in the proper way to be able to deliver the excellence that the brand stood for. That's humility Mm. instead of pointing fingers. So with leadership, I mean, the buck stops with us when we're in leadership positions. The buck stops with us and the blame game is gone. When you have the authority to make change, the buck stops with you. And board of directors, I I really have to say, you know, I've seen CEOs who make an enormous amount of money and it doesn't matter whether they're churning people and destroying people's lives. And and I actually will say destroying people's lives by them uh, just setting them up for failure by not putting a team around them with expectations of how to behave, how to lead. They're all content experts, but they lack all the soft skills of really knowing what it is to lift people up and make them successful and to leverage their talents and maximize those. It's, it's, I'm, I'm amazed that our country runs as well as it does when I've seen so much of this everywhere. Hmm. It's really interesting. It is. It is. And it's, it's even that phrasing of, you know, setting someone up for success. It's amazing how, and, and again, it goes back to ego and narcissism and, you know, I, I and not having the, the skill sets, yeah. just not learning the skill sets. I do not believe leaders are, are born. Right. I think you have to learn how to lead. Well, if you're not comfortable leading other people or being, you know, in, in the front of the pack, then you're more probably like my husband. He likes to just be on his own and do his own work. He doesn't want to supervise anyone. But, you know, so you have to have that personality that you want to lead other people. But then you've got to learn those skill sets. So that's my goal um, is to be able to help people learn those skill sets. Mm -hmm. So they can grow. And as they grow professionally, they're growing and they're actually pulling other success with them and becoming inspiration for others and setting an example of how to lead well so that we have more of this population of better leaders. But Mm. it's a commitment to learn. And often people don't have good teachers to learn from. I think, or or they don't want to learn. (laughs) Well, I I think there's a, there's a bit of a habit of, I finally got this role and I've made it. Now I can, now I can um, enjoy the fruits of my labor and collect the paycheck. And I have a lot of, um, a lot more autonomy now and it feels really good. And I, I think what is, I think in some ways we need to remove the sexiness of leadership in the sense of, yes, that title is really cool to have behind your name, but now the, the work is far more, it's far more intense than it's ever been before. And the responsibility you have is far greater than ever before because you have people who literally their lives are in your hands, you know, and not not physically, but but where they're going to go professionally. I mean, think about the woman that you mentioned who you doubled her salary uh, or, Mm -hmm. or, or, or the person who um, you moved her into the community role. You had a responsibility for her and you made a decision that literally changed her life. Literally, it, it changed the track. And, and it changed our department's life. And then we became more productive and our outcomes were, were superior because everyone was aligned with the right roles. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes a lot of effort for a company to pay attention to talent and 
to say it's okay to be open to say, you know, I've sort of done this for a while and I'm itching to do something more. It takes a lot of work for a company and HR to move somebody somewhere else, but they should. They talk about that, but they how many times is it really executed? So if you have great talent, why wouldn't you want to keep them? I'd rather shift them around a company and leverage their talent than to have them burn out because they're they're you know they're done. I'm a builder. I'm not a maintainer. So if I had to sit there and maintain something, I would die on the vine. So I always like new problems and new. And if a company knows that about me, you know, leverage me, move me around. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. But it takes it takes uh, I don't know. It takes insight and awareness. Yeah, we have. A, but it's great that more people are talking about this because it makes you optimistic that there will be change. And I think the younger generations are less tolerant. And uh, they tend to be a little bit more um, of a team player, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think I think the. I mean, you're younger. I think, than yeah, you, so. <laughs> my generation. I think I think people are. Let's just talk about millennials, for example. Right. Millennials in general are are much more collaborative, and they're much less patient for hierarchy in the sense of because it's the question of why. And so, you know, whereas maybe before it was, I'm your boss, so go do X, Y, and Z, you have a generation who they want to know, well, why would you like me to do that? And, it, and so it's a bit of a, I think for especially across generations, there's a bit of a disconnect of, well, it doesn't matter why, you should just, you should just do it. And so I, I think organizations because of this, and it's not just millennials, I think it's people in general, are becoming flatter because it's faster and also, mm-hmm. it gives people an opportunity to engage outside of their silo, to engage right. outside of their immediate, you know, even their own personal day-to-day. I mean, people, yeah. I mean, think about this. We, we on social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, we will scroll through probably 50 or 60 different pieces of content in about 60 seconds. Why do we do that? We do that because we love the feeling of the freshness of experiencing new things. And I think in the same way, the reason people, I think the reason our culture is becoming more collaborative is because people like that feeling of frankly learning, but especially engaging with things that aren't, you know, what would be in their rut or would eventually become boring. And I think it's okay to harness that in a company. And like you said, Give someone the opportunity to let's put you over here. Let's let's let you try something over here, or you know, get immersed in this area. I think these things are okay, but we're fearful of change because we, well, what if it doesn't work, or what if it doesn't work for that person, or we again, we just don't have time because we're always fighting fires. So my philosophy is, you know, you have to be assertive enough with your circumstances to create that space because no company, no person is ever going to have extra where, well, wow, I guess let's just, you know, you have so much extra time. Let's think about how to use it. So. Right. And paying attention to where someone's heart is. Yeah. And, uh, often they're afraid to make change because with that becomes to your point uncertainty. But if you can create a safe environment where you say, I recognize your talent, you want to advance. So I don't want to lose you out of my department, but it would be worse for the company to lose you. Yeah. See, so it shouldn't be about. It's never about us. It's always well, about the people that 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 uh, we're responsible for. It's never we, about us. Yeah, and we we put so much weight on the decision having to be right the first time. In the sense, uh, I, I had a 
friend of mine on the podcast who she was talking about strategic planning and she said, you know, what we do on our team is that once we've built our strat plan, if we don't like something, we change it yeah. rather than, rather than a lot of companies. And I've seen this happen where it's like, well, we're going to, we've locked in for three years or we're locked in for 12 months and being agile enough to realize it's okay to, okay, yeah, we, we tried putting this person over here and it didn't work and they didn't like it. Okay. We're going to move them back or we're going to move them here. You know, it's, it's, okay to have a bit of agility there, I think, and realize, you know what, that was a mistake and we're going to do something different rather than these kinds of decisions come every 18 months, you know, and so I don't know how productive that is. I have a chapter that's called Own It and it's about just allowing people to make mistakes. Mm. And I I learned it from a, a woman CEO who said to me, and I, and I loved it. So it's one of my chapters saying it's okay to make mistakes. Just make sure that you learn as much as that mistake has cost. Mm-hmm. So in her world, there are people that made $10 million mistakes. Now, I know companies where CEOs have gotten rid of people for far less than that for making a mistake. But her philosophy was learn as much as that mistake has cost. And if you create that kind of environment, you will find that those mistakes become less and less and less mm-hmm. because people aren't afraid and they take more responsibility to really do well for the leader. Mm-hmm. My teams wanted to, to do well for me. They wanted to make me a hero. And there's a chapter I have about make someone a hero or save them from embarrassment. But they wanted to do well by me because I was – because we were a team and I was so good for them and mm-hmm. to them and gave them the authority to do their own work, find a different way, uh, challenge me and uh, not be afraid of failing when it mm-hmm. happened. So well, you know, it's, a, it's a fun dynamic environment to be in. I miss that part but I lo- in my life, but I love the work that I'm doing now and really helping prepare uh, you know, the next wave of leaders who will rise up. And, and if I can contribute to that success, it's very fulfilling because I did not have that. Well, and I, I, I trust you immediately. I mean, just listening to you, I can just <laughs> tell you were just phenomenal. And I'm, I'm sure you were a phenomenal leader too, and currently are with what you're doing with um, just, just your different engagements, especially the 28 hours in me and the seven hours in me uh, and the workbooks you're putting together. Uh, at some point, I'm going to need you to have come back, have you come back on because I, I need oh, to talk to you, you more. I need to talk more about your story at some points. Um, you, you talked, I, I guess you're just too humble because you talked so easily about, about how there were so many people who, because you were a woman, said, you know, they sort of were trying to pre- prevent or shape the direction you were going. And it sounds like you the way you described it was that it was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. And so I, I'd like to dig more into that and just your resilience. Um, I'd like to dig a little bit more into just the pure business of what you've been building now. Uh, but unfortunately, we're out of time today, so we'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to save that for another time. Sure. Thank you so much for coming on. What, what can we tell the audience in terms of ways to immediately engage with you, uh, things that they can do to promote you or engage with yeah. your content? And what are some immediate go-dos for them? I think, I, I think just go to my website, GretchenFearly.com, 
and it's uh, Gretchen F, like in Frank, I-E-R-L-E.com. It has my books. It has, it has uh, my book. My chapter's only 50 words or less. Uh, so there's chapters there. 28 Hours for Me is there. A new program that we're launching, 7 Hours for Me is there. Uh, my workshops, my bio, all of it's right there. So it's one-stop viewing of Gretchen Fearley. But the 28 hours before we close up, here's the example because we talked about ego and humility so much. In 28 hours for me, I ask women executives who are college presidents, executive vice presidents of global companies, CEOs of multi-million dollar companies to come in and facilitate and advocate. And the first experience when attendees come in is that all of these women are handing, registering them, handing out their goodie bags, greeting them at the door. They push in the chairs in the workshops. So immediately, all these executive women are actually doing administration work because we want them to know there are times where you leave your title at the door and you do whatever you have to do to deliver excellence to those who have entrusted you with their time and their money to learn something. So it's so it's it's a wow experience, and I have a, a, a chief human resources officer of Delaware North, fifty five thousand associates worldwide. She said we send our associates to hundreds of leadership. She goes, I have never seen anything like twenty eight hours for me. So humility is very important, and when you start leading by example. What a wow from people. And, and I'm already almost sold out for the spring, and it's all by word of mouth. And I put a couple of posts on LinkedIn. So, so go to GretchenFearley.com, read about me, and you can contact me. And if you want my books, uh, they're there, and I actually have a card with them that shows you how to use them, whether it's for a company, for a team, or as an individual. I love it. I love it. Well, Gretchen, thank you so much I for joining us today. Hours with you, so we have to get back together. <laughs> we again. will. You can tell once I get passionate, I can't stop. Well, I love it. I love it. And for our and listeners, I want to hear about your life. I want to interview you yeah. on your podcast. Where's your podcast? <laughs> we need to start your. I, I can get, help you get it started. I'd listen to that episode. Uh, so, uh, listeners, thanks so much for listening. Absolutely, let me know what you think about the episode. Check out Gretchen's website, as she said, GretchenFearley.com. I'll put the link in the, in the description. Uh, I'm Gretchen. I have to say, I wish there was a 28 hours for me for men. Cause I'm, as I was listening, I was like, man, I want to go to that. That sounds awesome. But <laughs> maybe we'll have one someday. Maybe, maybe I'll be your first customer on it. Uh, thanks again for listening everyone. And I will catch you next week.